So you've been tired of hearing this? Okay, so we're 62, then the company went uh, on the blink and had it laid off. No, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how many years you were hard of hearing. Mm -hmm. um, well, that would be 40 years, wouldn't it? I think so. Since about 1929? Um, no, since uh, 1919. It's been a very hard COVID. I can imagine, I'm telling you. Mm. It's harder than when you have to wear glasses. Now tell me, do you have um, any kind of private medical insurance such as Blue Shield? No. no? Except the Medicare. The Blue Cross wouldn't take me up in kind of the uh, diabetes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I tried to get it. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I am your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Morning, Sean. Doing good. Thanks. Happy to be back after a, a little hiatus. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we had to take a little bit of a break due to some COVID-related uh, postponements, but um, uh, yeah, we're going to be back on schedule very quickly. But uh, it, it will be worth it uh, for it our guest today. That's right. Um, yeah, so our guest today is Barry Keith Grant, who is one of uh, the foremost uh, thinkers and writers of uh, Frederick Wiseman's work. And um, we talked with him for a while on the second half. And um, we, we uh, are talking about Wiseman's fourth film today, uh, 1970s Hospital. Um, which is about uh, various treatment and uh, broader patient and uh, employee experience at the New York uh, Metropolitan Hospital. Most of the film takes place in, in the emergency room. Um, and the film was, was funded by the uh, Corporation of Public Broadcasting. And uh, it won two Emmys for uh, like Best News Documentary and Director, which I guess is worth mentioning less for celebration and more to just take note of Wiseman's accumulating presence as uh, a filmmaker of note. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, also, uh, the the second film after high school, um, preserved by the Library of Congress of Wiseman's, mm -hmm. um, uh, takes place at Metropolitan High School in Harlem. Hospital. Uh, <laughs> Good, good morning. I'm still feeling <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Metropolitan Hospital in Harlem. Um, you know, wide, wide range of services being performed, um, both uh, medical and administrative. Mm -hmm. um, uh, insane sort of access to um, just sort of individual appointments, you know, think about mm -hmm. going in for, uh, you know, some sort of emergency room situation and there's Frederick Weissman <laughs> and William Brain, uh, along with your doctor saying hi. Um, uh, but I love, I love Titicut Follies. <laughs> yeah, that would be, I wonder, I wonder what, when the first point someone, uh, who was a subject in a Weisman film had seen a Weisman film before, yeah. and I wonder if that's ever happened. Probably. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, you know, um, I feel like you you usually ask me, Sean, if if I'd seen these movies before. Um, I'll put that question to you only because this is the first film we're covering I hadn't seen prior. Oh, um, really? 
Yeah, because, well, so my mom died when I was pretty young. I spent years, ages like nine and ten in, in and out of hospitals visiting her a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not my favorite, like, ground to cover and, and kind of one I've actively avoided over the sure. years, uh, along with a few others, you know, notably near death. Um, but grateful for this, this project for finally, you know, giving me the bump to watch it because, you know, it's, it's a, it's an instant all timer, you know, for me at least. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I had seen it before. Um, and so this is my second, uh, this is my first revisit of it. Um, but my first time seeing it sort of chronologically, uh, minded. Um, but yeah, this, this is, uh, I think, um, as uh, as Barry Keith Grant pointed out after uh, this film, Wiseman said, "I've made four of the most depressing documentaries <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever," <laughs> which is which is interesting. But um, yeah, I, I, we, we'll definitely get into in terms of like it being an all timer, where it is in his development. Um, but I wanted to say that uh, um, this film, so this film came out in 1970, and then in 1971. There was an Arthur Hiller film called The Hospital that was shot oh, in the right. same the same uh, hospital, and um, and I don't I don't <clears throat> think it's like uh, you know similar in terms of like content or, or or aim or whatever, but it's just interesting that so far we have like this we have um, one flew of the cuckoo's nest kind of like mm -hmm. uh, and, and Titicut Follies connection this hospital and the hospital and then in the next episode we'll talk a lot about um basic training and and full metal jacket um but just something that i i guess i wasn't really thinking about when i got interested in this project is thinking about his influence on fictional filmmaking yeah i mean you you wonder kind of as weissman and and just the you know american verite movement um sort of progresses and and you know has a a foothold at film festivals and and you know other um, venues for exhibition you know those directors are coming together as another thing we'll talk about next episode i miss sonia henny you know it was just sort of uh, the fruit of a bunch of directors that have happened to be in the same audience at the festival you know and how mm -hmm. what sort of cross-pollination is happening as the you know sort of frankly revolutionary um formal ideas brought forth from by these um american verite directors are sort of being integrated into filmmaking at, at large mm -hmm. uh we should also note that this was the beginning of zippera like in, in 1970 uh wiseman uh opened zippera or zippora uh his film uh company named after his late wife uh zippora wiseman um and uh but yeah so the the opening shot uh you we we talk about it with with Barry in different terms that I I uh found interesting but um the opening shot starts with this surgery and and Grant and Mamber have both like pointed out that it can be read as like you know there's a cutting open and like scalpeling and yeah. and it can be read as this uh this director statement this like author statement of saying like I'm about to go to work and uh but also like as a way of inferring that uh in order to make sense of hospital or Wiseman's work generally uh you have to investigate you have to like cut open and look in um or you know as 
as the poster for American Beauty put it, look closer. <laughs> uh, sure. But this is also, I think, a, a big step in Wiseman's development as like a gory filmmaker, often gory filmmaker, which he has a certain reputation for, or likes, or you kind of, you kind of are waiting for it to to happen in certain films, and this seems like the first one where uh, there's there's some intermittent moments where uh, you know weak stomached uh, viewers <laughs> might might look away. Well, I mean. Um you know, partly warranted by the subject at hand, mm-hmm. uh, a little unavoidable, you know, um, and, and, you know, thinking about certain scenes in Titty Cut Follies as well, you know, it's kind of always been with him, this, um, what Nick, Bill Nichols describes in his uh, analysis of this film as Weissman's tacklessness, yeah. you know, like, like, um, don't know if that's the word I would use, but, um, you know, he, he's unflinching, right? He's, um, uh, the thing he says about all his movies is, is they represent, um, what he saw when he went there, you mm-hmm. know? So, so this is what he saw. And, and I mean, if you spend X amount of time in a hospital, you're going to see some blood and some vomit and, um, yeah, some, some unseemly sort of things. I, I can't I don't have the exact line in front of me, but Pauline Kale in her review said something like Wiseman traverses the boundaries of good taste to bad taste and and we wind up in a better place because of it, which I find a bit more useful than tactlessness. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that that's pretty beautiful. Um I, I think that's fair and and you know, there's a balancing there. You're not um inundated this movie isn't purely like gross spectacle right but um some of those scenes do tend to stick out more just because of the the impression they make you know i mean we we can't talk about hospital without talking about the bad trip scene of the art student what do you think they gave you what did they give you told me it was masculine but i was chewing on it and tasted sort of fun like soap or something like that Uh you told you it was masculine, but it tasted Yeah, I knew it was. I knew it was poison. Okay. Okay. You're not gonna die. Can we have an NG2, please? And uh, 10 cc's of Ipecac. Make it 20. Which is like, um, maybe along with, with one of the other scenes in the film with the psychiatrist and the gay prostitute, you know, both just sort of, um, pure emblematic Weissman, you know, like, yeah. like the, the vomit scene, uh, or the bad trip scene is like, well, I think it's the best bad trip scene in cinema, but it's also just, um, this total mix of, um, emotions and, uh, uh like sort of what Weissman as a filmmaker is offering, you know, is, is, is very ambiguous in terms of how we're supposed to feel, you know, mm-hmm, for sure. I, I, I think the, it's like, there's something about the sheer volume of vomit <laughs> being displayed that just like pushes the thing into a, this level of like absurd comedy, you know, and it's like, it's all over the floor. Like it's, it's punctuated by the art students sort of asking these like innocent little questions of like, you know, can someone play some music or like, yeah, there's, there's like so much new, like it, it's, it's so rich with like 
documentary, like the potential for of documentary filmmaking. Uh, like you get these nuances of like real life that like you couldn't script or like you couldn't right. think of somebody to like act the way that this kid is acting. Um, it is just like a confluence of like real life panic and um also yeah there's that like gross spectacle of the vomit there's a level of um of comedy but also there's like this very like uh cogent like social analysis going on in juxtaposition with the rest of the film that uh we get into right yeah it's i feel like so far um uh there's always like uh one or two scenes in each of the Wiseman films that are like Pantheon Wiseman and and the right. two that you just mentioned are definitely in there for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before moving on from this one, it's just um the sort of like I don't know, the when you think about a lot of discourse that's happening now around narrative and story in documentary filmmaking and something like this you know there's there's the ever-present discourse about sex scenes and how they're not necessary because they don't serve a narrative function or move the plot forward you know i think this is a scene where you could levy those sort of criticisms if you think that that's important but you know i think this shows why that isn't important and why a scene that maybe doesn't have narrative um value uh, per se um is can be essential in filmmaking you know as as both sort of a narrative digression but also um advancing the thematic mm-hmm. elements of the film that that you're discussing and that we we talk about with Barry a little later um yeah i, I think that 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 is uh that brings up um one of the more important things about hospital is its structure and uh what's going on here with with Wiseman's development but um uh Barry Keith Grant pointed out like he he said that there's like this interspersed mundane and unpleasant uh or emotionally charged sequences and then eventually the mundanity fades away but um uh what you get with like this art student scene is Wiseman coming into being more comfortable it seems with longer scenes um these right. these individual scenes that can lengthen to like 10 minutes which um is very long for a movie this short um in general but uh it's just like this new level of sophistication um of Wiseman's whole project comes into view and I think also we get with hospital like specifically he's zooming out from like the catharsis of reporting on individual actors that we've seen in like Titica and high school and law and order where we see like individuals who are mostly doing like neglectful or harmful work to the people that they're sort of like in charge of. And I mean, of course he he's using those individuals as like microcosms of the society at large, not just saying like, this is a bad actor. Or, this is a bad actor. But with, with high school, we see a lot of like these hardworking and and like well-meaning doctors and nurses and uh here like inadvertently or not he's breaking away from like the his reputation as like a muckraker and using the hospital as as, uh this um this way station for for uh other broader social problems yeah i mean we we talk about later you know how this film sort of opens up the 
interplay between Weissman's individual films into mm-hmm. sort of a, a macro kind of project. Um, oh, sorry, hold on one second. I hear a cat kind of freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> what? Things on, are you kidding me? My, like, giant cat, my adult cat, trapped himself in the kitten's, like, little pen trying to eat her food <laughs> and couldn't get out. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, where, where were we? Well, I was talking about the hospital as, like, this way station. You you said, like... Um, oh, right, to, yeah, you know. okay. So, so right, we, we talk about that. Um, but, but you're right, this is less of a... Um, sort of institutional critique and more of a way um, to use the hospital um, as a means of just kind of exploring human nature, humanity, you know, the state of society, um, uh, which, you know, is it will persist in Weissman's future mm-hmm. work as well. Yeah, there's a, a interesting bit in, um, in Mamber's like uh, journal write up of, of this where he talks about how smart it is to have a scene where Dr. Schwartz, who's who's a, a recurring character in, in the film, uh, and he's specifically saying that the hospital like should not be used for certain responsibilities. Like, you know, he's talking to somebody uh, like saying um, hospital's not the place for this or, or something like that. And yeah, like like people like dump, you know, their problems yeah. onto the hospital, more or less. Yeah. And uh he, yeah, it, it helps illustrate a few things. It's it's almost like addition by subtraction, right? Like saying like that this is what the hospital's not for, and and you know through the solutions that won't be solved at the hospital, we learn a bit about those. But um, it, it what we end up coming away from, I think, is the hospital is like this very distressed system. Uh, it's you know willing to do whatever it can, but can only sort of like momentarily. Uh, mitigate uh, the problems it sees and I was thinking about that in relation to Law and Order um, in the way that we talked about the police forces like this catch-all for for problem like being being tasked with way too much and being set up for failure but in that case you know we talked a lot about how like the result curdled into like actual hostility and here with the hospital, we see sympathy. Like when they can't do something, they are always like sympathetic. Um, yeah, just thinking about the difference between like the police trying to treat Geronimo and like any of the situations here is, is like monumental. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, you know, any one of Weissman's subjects, as institutional subjects, is only going to um, come into the fore of people's lives in uh, situation in specific situations and oftentimes it's situations of duress mm-hmm. um, w- another connection that I was drawing between this and law and order is the the difference between the sort of um, lost children scenes I guess you could call them you know oh. in, in law and order there's the scene where they pick up the girl who's crying and you know um, they take her back to it's the station and then 
in hospital. It's um, the boy who's fallen out the window and is subsequently housing an ice cream bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, just killing that thing. Um, but, <laughs> but, but the nurse who's, you know, so committed to this boy's well-being that she's almost willing to take him home with her. Yeah, it reminds me of, of like what Nalita was saying about coming away from Law and Order and like extending that to like just through Wiseman's film, seeing all the ways that like these institutions fail children. Well, yeah, I think and I think it's critical in both of these examples. We don't know the eventual outcome. We don't know where either mm-hmm. of these kids end up. And, you know, that's not, I guess it it falls outside of Weissman's scope, but it's also, you know, so often the situation with all but one or two of the people in these situations are, are going to know what, what actually happens. And it's more often the case that it's a series of unfortunate circumstances that just sort of happen throughout the day and move uh, through your life one after the other before, you know, something similar replaces it, you know, a couple hours later. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, one of the things that uh, I found interesting about uh, well, this film, but also in, in um, Mamber's uh, Verite book, he talks about the ways that Wiseman creates atmosphere. And uh, I kind of disagreed with, with uh, his overall point, but it's worth talking about. Um, he, he, he's, he talks about the ways that he you know, uses like janitors for shorthand to like create this idea of like a factory or a plant um, or like uses waiting rooms here to uh, add some layer of texture. Uh, and ultimately, I think he says that it's unsuccessful because you can't really manipulate atmosphere. Uh, and I'm not sure if I feel that way, but one thing I wanted to kind of keep mental track of during this project is uh, like, I've noticed just like skipping around his filmography before we started this, like Wiseman's attention to like landscape workers or like caretakers or janitors that like these in- institutions need in order to function the way that they want to. Uh, that like otherwise just kind of like fall through the cracks in terms of like uh, it, you know taking stock of, of what an institution does um, like I think a lot about like the cutaways in at Berkeley of like all of the construction that is happening so that these buildings can look as good as they do the lawns can look as good as they do but also that like you know the actual uh, college, the the campus can function, you know, that like right. students can get around and, and people can get around. Um, and I think that from memory, we get a lot more of like janitorial work and welfare as well. Um, right. But uh, I think that that's important. But also, I think it is just a way to for Wiseman to establish rhythm, you know, like breaking mm-hmm. between yeah. um, uh, these like sort of emotionally charged uh, scenes to just get a break. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we haven't really encountered yet what I think is is one of the signatures of kind of late period Weissman, which is these sort of interstitials of like uh, building facades or like, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of kind of transitions between scenes, you know, Um, you know, as, as you were talking about earlier, this is still a relatively short film for Weissman, but starting to play with durational cinema and and individual scenes um before that sort of balloons and and these interstitials are added in to sort of 
uh, you know, like you're talking about, add, add pace and rhythm to it. Um, so yeah, they, they very much agree that that you know the um, the inclusion of you know I guess what we call today being like essential workers, um, uh, but kind of outside of the main focus of an individual institution do, do does serve a structural uh, purpose. Um, uh, speaking of um, structure in this film, I I think uh, I do want to talk a bit about Bill Nichols' analysis. Yeah. Um, cause it's really informative and kind of, um, laying bare some of the magic at work in Weissman. Um, hmm. and, and he uses the scene, uh, between the psychiatrist and, and the gay man, um, underage guy. Whereas later they have come up with the idea or with the statement that I cannot require welfare. Because I am a minor. Now, being that I'm... Because I am a minor. But, you know, when I do go over to the welfare center, they tell me, and how have you been supporting yourself and eating and doing this and that? And you know what I've been doing? Prostituting. Prostituting. Yeah. Male prostituting. Well, let me tell you something. Anytime it's female because I get confused. <laughs> um, to sort of, he he creates all these labels about like you know temporal ellipsis both for for um, the soundtrack and and the video track and sort of saying you know with each cut okay, what happened? You know, did the camera move? Was time compressed somehow? And it's, it's very formalist. It's very structural, but in, in just kind of looking at each cut and each shot as, and seeing, you know, what exactly happened here, it's, you kind of see how Weissman constructs the scene and how he constructs cinema from reality, I guess, more specifically. Um, which is really informative and in when we talk about the idea that you know Weissman uh, erroneously is like a fly on the wall right and mm -hmm. and and he's just kind of capturing reality um but the this in-depth analysis really reveals the immense um i guess like active structuring in the editing Weissman mm -hmm. always talks about how these films come together in the editing room that um you know, I think I think that scene in particular that we keep referencing happened over the course of an hour, but it takes up, you know, like 10 minutes of this film and um, the methods that he uses to construct a scene in a film uh, distinct from an event in reality is, is um, just kind of eye opening. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and it again is sort of like a miniature version of what he would go on to keep doing like you know where we get these meeting scenes later in his work that are like take up 20 minutes instead of like two minutes but they're they're like patched together from like two and a half hour meetings or something like that it, so it it's interesting that he uh just keeps I, I or just like kept being interested in 
elongating these things. And I wonder what that was born out of, like if it is just like spending so much time in the editing room uh, and watching so much stuff and trying to push himself to include more or what, I don't know. Or maybe it's just a product yeah. of, this, what he would probably say is it's a product of what he saw and trying to play, play down his own artistry, I think. I, wa- I wonder too if, as he sort of, as he gets this um, public broadcasting contract, you know, if that sort of relieves some of the commercial burden for him to sort mm. of mm-hmm. package this in, you know, a tight 90 minutes and feel the freedom to kind of move around and explore a little bit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was a factor to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I could be wrong because I haven't seen uh, all of the ones between this and uh, and welfare. But uh, welfare seems like well, first of all, ho- hospital and welfare seem very tied to me. Um, right. And uh, uh, but but it we can uh, track this as we go along or identify whether this is the case or not. But hospital seems like or welfare seems like the the. Uh, first instance in sort of like that that longer exercise um, and Definitely. those things really coming to, to fruition um, pretty form uh, fully formed but um, right but yeah uh, yeah did you have any other things to talk about with hospital yeah I mean well um, just to sort of further uh, talk about this kind of shot analysis thing yeah um, and and just kind of give you I, I encourage everyone to check this one out um it was in film quarterly um but you know there are certain things that come to light about methodology like when you have one cameraman and um a reverse shot happens you know necessarily that there's an ellipsis in time happening mm-hmm. because brain would have had to move and reposition and and likely weissman would have had it to to get out of brain shot you know so um, you can kind of infer um, certain it's the, it's, methods. It's happen. the broadcast news. Uh, the, yeah, totally. Totally. The crime, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but there there was something else in Nichols, um, and I'm not sure if this is what Stephen alluded to when we talked to him, but, but that I was kind of taking issue with, and uh, I wonder about your take, where he talks about um, heroes and compliments, and in Nichols' estimation, the hero is the institutional actor, the the doctors and nurses, et cetera, um, you know, or if it's high school, the principals and teachers, you know, the cops, so on and so forth. And the compliments are what he calls the members of society, you know, the everyday people who are made to come into an interaction in one form or another with a given institution. Um and I guess what when you talk about janitors, he relegates those to the category of helpers, um, mm-hmm. which I don't think I would agree with either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it depends on like how he's using that, uh, like how sincerely he's using that. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think Wiseman is interested in that. That like um, more. Um, I don't think he's interested in those categories, that categorization of, of, uh, people. I think it's, and, and I don't think he's interested in vaulting, uh, essential workers or, um, any like employees that he looks at as like heroes, honestly. Like I know yeah. we talked, we talked a lot or there was discourse, uh, 
about this with Marty Walsh. And um, I, I mean, I still think that that was he like he's interested in people who are doing work and doing it well, just as he's interested in people who are doing work and not doing it well. Um, but like, yeah, it's cool to see in City Hall like somebody giving somebody a pass on a parking ticket. But like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, that that's that's like important to see. It's nice to see that like sort of olive branch or sympathy being extended like past sort of the rules of of uh, the institution. But I, I think that's that's more just like giving space to humanity rather than like trying to like categorize like heroes and like you know yeah well i think i think um the way he's using it is sort of related to like just hollywood narrative um Mm -hmm. and and i guess kind of like the campbell school you know like but i think you know if you look and take a step back and and um I feel like a broken record, but like, you know, the, the one big film Weissman project thing, um, the members of society are the only constant throughout. Right. Mm. Like, like, um, you know, you could, uh, see the art student we were talking about as a graduate of Northeast high, you know, like why not? Um, and, and it's, it's only the, citizen or you know the everyday joe kind of guy that's um always present in these films um i guess we're about to watch a scene um so i don't know if anyone goes to the monastery but but um if you inverse that idea and and look at you know who is the narrative favoring and i think it's visually reinforced in hospital too oftentimes we're intently focused on the patient and the doctor is kind of relegated to voiceover um, and we're reading uh, right. the face of the patient for their reaction. You know, I think of that that guy who's um, you talk about later is like kind of ashamed talking about his problems urinating and stuff like, mm-hmm. um, but like, like if you look at it from the inverse and it's the member of society that's the hero and they're sort of, having to navigate these labyrinthine systems and uh on the one hand there's institutional indoctrination that's always at play and there's there's this given uh take between willingness to be indoctrinated and resistance to that and and just sticking to your sort of individual languages and functions um i think that's one of the key struggles of weissman right is like like um, maintaining individuality in the face of uh, monolithic uh, structural, you yeah. know, etc. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, we talk with um, with Barry about uh, diminished autonomy, and maybe that is yeah. uh, a useful like tie there between like these these this like system that is that is built to diminish our autonomy, and so you have like this struggle for for people uh, like. I mentioned like the woman who doesn't want to be on like social security, like that, mm. that struggle, uh, is, is like, um, central to, to Wiseman's work is, uh, these people trying to do, and we saw a lot of it in high school and talked about it, like just individual citizens trying to, uh, preserve their autonomy. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, 
Nichols did make one interesting note um, related to the the post um, psychiatrist prostitute scene where he's talking to the welfare officer, you know, Miss Hightower. You need some welfare assistance because clearly he's not in a position to work for himself. He's not organized enough. Uh, I would say, roughly guessing, maybe about in a month he'll be ready. If I uh, send him off to the hospital, which I could easily do, he never will be ready, and it'll be a public charge all the way. This way we've got at least a good chance of straightening him out so that he will be able to work. But there's a what? He has no access to it. He has no access to it. Miss Hightower, I can't help what his mother does. Uh, Miss Hightower, I don't wish to direct any conversation towards his mother. I'm asking for the assistance of welfare. This is an emergency situation. I can possibly keep this man out of a hospital if I get assistance. You're telling me about the law and the procedure and my supposing to tr Uh, Miss Hightower, is this a welfare center? Um, who we will see later in welfare, um, but this is the only time he was able to note where his definition of a hero shifts to a compliment where mm. he is the institutional actor of a hospital and all of a sudden he's becoming the compliment to the institution of the welfare office yeah. and then bumping up against their institutional codes and languages and you know processes that, that's um, really interesting right yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah i mean again this is you know, so we have that, we have that sort of future sequel. Um, uh, maybe this is where the germ of that idea for Weissman came from, I can't say. Um, but I, you know, I mentioned the art student could have come from high school. The mm -hmm. the psychiatrists harken back to Titty Cut Follies. You know, there are multiple police officers present within the hospital harkening back to law and order. You know, the, mm -hmm. the tapestry here is really like being woven and, yeah. um, you know, it, it's it's almost a little surprising that only four films in we're already referencing all three previous yeah, films, yeah. you know, and and even ones that don't exist yet. Um, but like like I think it's clear that this idea for Wiseman was present like pretty early on in his yeah, career. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, and I'm glad that we're doing this project this way. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, sorry about the cat. <laughs> no. Um, no problem. Well, uh, if you if you uh, want to contact us, you can do so at wisemanpodcast at gmail dot com uh, and ask questions or pitch uh, things for us to talk about. <laughs> whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, get get some of these um, readings too. We have. Uh, oh, yeah. those Please. available um, um again we're about to talk with barry keith grant who wrote uh voyages of discovery among other works on wiseman um which last time i looked at amazon that one is not super accessible in terms of <laughs> yeah, money I think, yeah i think i got mine on ebay and yeah. uh yeah i mean it's it's 
it doesn't run it's it's not cheap but it's not it's not like incredibly yeah. expensive or anything but it is it, it's worth reading um but and we will also tease that barry keith grant makes an exciting oh, yeah. announcement exclusive <laughs> yeah <laughs> the first wiseman podcast exclusive um but yeah uh i hope you enjoy our uh, discussion with uh barry keith grant Hello, and uh, welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. Uh, we are here joined by Barry Keith Grant, uh, Canadian-American film critic, teacher, and author. Um, Barry has, uh, he taught film for uh, four decades at uh, Brock University in Ontario, uh, has written books on uh, horror, sci-fi, and musicals, um, is a an elected fellow in, in the Royal Society of Canada. Um, but we have Barry on today because uh, he also happens to be one of the great writers and, and thinkers of, of the films of Frederick Wiseman. Uh, um, how are you, Barry? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me to join you today. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks I, for joining us. I think I, I speak for uh, Arlen as well uh, when I say um, I've I've become very uh, thankful for for your '92 book, Voyages of Discovery, which is you know anybody interested in, in Wiseman should should uh, find that that book. But um, it's just a it's a book that you're able to clearly elucidate the core ideas at play in uh, in Wiseman's films with very like accessible and, and enjoyable prose. Well, thank you very much. Um... You know, I felt at the time I wrote that book, I felt like I really needed to demonstrate the textual complexity of, of his films, which was being overlooked. Huh. Overlooked by, by uh, like critics or? Well, I think there were always um, viewers like YouTube uh, mm -hmm. who were appreciative of uh, the sophistication that he brought to doc documentary. And there were some critics, mostly reviewers, who um, uh, would praise, praise his films as they came out on PBS, for example. But um, as far as critics were concerned, there really uh, weren't many who were seriously talking about Wiseman at the time. There was Tom Benson and Carolyn Anderson, and, I, I, and their book preceded mine. I know that um, you know you have talked to uh, Carolyn already. Yeah, one one of the things um, you know, I, I rarely find myself applauding a book <laughs> um, as I'm reading it, but in in the introductory chapters, you know, you sort of take to task um, film thinkers that have overlooked uh, documentarians and documentaries just generally you know not just Wiseman just the concept that you know documentarians are technicians that these films are kind of just happen you know by sticking a camera at the pro filmic event um can you expand a bit more about just where uh critical thought around documentaries more broadly was uh, around the time of your writing the book well I think one of the the arguments I was making was that critics were generally neglecting regarding documentary filmmakers as auteurs. Uh, that 
they really couldn't reconcile a view of a personal vision in documentary films with the fact that the films were, you know, indexical, had indexical bonds to, re, to the real world. And so the best that a documentary filmmaker could do would be uh, to be faithful to the pro film they present in, in whatever way faithful meant. Um, and there were nods to somebody like you know, Robert Flaherty, who was, you know, he was a romantic and he's the only, uh, in fact, the only filmmaker who made it into Andrew Saris's famous <laughs> pantheon of, of great filmmakers. Uh, and then he kind of neglects, even he neglects him a bit after, after that. Uh, at the same time, critics were saying that, oh, you know, people like, like Errol Morris might be auteurs, but there really was no analysis of them. So I felt I needed to begin the book by making, you know, using, uh, constructing that kind of argument and, and including that kind of background to the argument of what is an auteur uh, in terms of, at least classically in terms of film and how a documentary filmmaker can be seen to be an auteur. And to me, Wiseman was, you know, the, the primary example of that. I definitely um, want to get more into that in a second, in that idea of Wiseman as, as auteur and some of the ideas you, you bring up. Um, but before we do that, like, how did, how did you become interested in Wiseman's work just generally? Like, what is the origin story there? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I went to uh, graduate school at the University of Buffalo, uh, State University of New York at Buffalo. And... <clears throat> In that program, you had to have a um, a minor field of study, and uh, and and a uh, major field and a period. So I, I was always interested in in film, and actually film studies as a serious academic discipline was just sort of beginning uh, in the early 1970s. So I guess I was in the right place at the right time. Um, there, there was a particular interest uh, in the English department in cinema, but there was no real program. Um, and so I did uh, uh, several independent studies with um, Gerald O'Grady, who was a uh, kind of visionary in uh, film pedagogy and film education. And, um, and actually the primary interest of the people who were interested in film uh, at University of Buffalo were experimental filmmakers and critics interested in experimental film. They had Paul Sharitz was, was there and, um, and others as well. Uh, so um, that was really the emphasis. And I also had an, uh, an interest in um, uh, genre film and popular cinema, uh, as you can tell from my bibliography. But, um, and so that really put me up on the kind of margins of the study. But what was amazing about Buffalo, uh, the university was that virtually every night there were screenings of mm -hmm. one kind of film or another sponsored by the French department or the student union or whoever it, it was. And so I was able to get steeped in film history and film studies was became my minor field. Um, 19th century American literature was actually what I did my dissertation. Um, and um, I, uh, I saw at the time um, in the early 70s, of course, Wiseman only had a few films to his credit at that point. 
Uh, but uh, the one that uh, I saw first that really resonated with me was high school. And, you know, I was fairly young and my high school experience was not dissimilar from what I saw in that film. Uh, and then when I saw Hospital, I was just, uh, I was astonished by the kind of, of material that Wiseman was able to get on film. And, you know, for years, I always wondered why would anybody say yes to letting him <laughs> into their institution? Um, I don't ask that question anymore because Wiseman's position and culture has changed dramatically uh, and his vision has changed. Um, we could talk more about that, that later. Um, uh, so uh, I saw high school, I saw um, uh, Law and Order, and of course, Titicate Follies, which just kind of blew me away. These are all at these screenings? Uh, yeah, at screenings in, at the university because where else could you see them at, at the time? Um, you know that Wiseman's film, he controls his own films through Zephora Films. There was no video, no DVD at the time. Uh, so when they would be programmed at the university, I would get to see them. But by the time of um, Primate, I guess it was, uh, which, which um, 1974, um, uh, I remember seeing Primate uh, on TV. And of course, there was a big controversy around Primate. And I thought Wiseman had, had, he's become, had become so much more sophisticated in his vision by the time and his filmmaking style by the time of Primate uh, that I just became hooked on, on his work and waited every year for the new one to be shown on PBS. Um, and then actually when it came time to write my first book, I decided it had to be on his films. Hmm. So did you, did you teach Wiseman's work at all? Uh, yes, I taught the documentary course uh, many times at, at, uh, at Brock University. Um, and uh, I always included uh, one film when I could. Of course, to rent his films from Zipporah Films was pretty expensive. So um, I had to be careful of, of the, the budget, but I showed him when I could. Um, so as, as you mentioned, you, you kind of alluded to, the, to uh, how his style has changed. So your book only goes up to 92. Um, and I'm guessing you don't have any plans to, um, to supplement that, that book, but have you kept up with his, his work in, in the years since then? Uh, well, um, actually, <laughs> you were incorrect about that. <laughs> Good. Um, I, uh, I decided after seeing uh, City Hall and some of the other more recent films that I have to, I have to do a second edition of the book. Oh, wow. Um, and I actually, I put in a, a proposal with Columbia University Press and they're going to be doing it. So I'm just starting work on it now. Oh, wow. Breaking news. <laughs> this is, that, that's, that's, yeah, that's music to my ears. Yeah, can't wait. So in, in, the, um, in the book, I ended with near death. Um, I think Central Park had also just come out, uh, but I thought, you know, it would be futile to try and um, uh, 
kind of provide closure since he he's so active or was so active as a, at that time as a filmmaker. Um, so I thought that that near death, which was a kind of monumental work and six hours long, uh, would be a logical conclusion to the book, and that's how I concluded it. But now, near death will be followed by at least two more chapters. Um, cool. Because uh, I, I particularly, well, there are that group of films about dance and about um, National Gallery and Boxing Gym. Well, I'm trying, I'm going to try to bring those films together to discuss as kind of self-reflexive meditation, aesthetic meditations about cool. his own practice. Uh, and then conclude with that group, of, that last group of films, um, uh, I guess beginning, actually going back to Belfast, Maine, but including um, in Jackson Heights and uh, Ex Libris and Monrovia, Indiana, Aspen, yeah. um, and state legislature. Those um, films seem to me to be, to kind of bring his, the part of his vision that was concerned with empathy and human connection and democracy in particular uh, into the foreground. Um, and probably, even though it's still kind of somewhat understated, his most political films, because they were largely made in the Trump era. Mm -hmm. can, can you talk about um, that decision throughout the book to 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 do your chapters group sort of thematically as opposed to what I think I see more typically than just sort of a straight chronology? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you actually kind of provided the answer in the way you phrased <laughs> the question because, uh, you know, I didn't want to necessarily do the typical thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that to do, to cover his films chronologically would be somewhat mechanical and, um, and atomize the films from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I would have to say, well, you know, this connects to this and this film connects to this. And I thought it would be much better to kind of synthesize those, discu those discussions. And it would actually just read, read in a more interesting way. Mm -hmm. So that, that was why I did it that way. Yeah, no, no, I mean, that, that makes sense. It's, um, you know, I, I got multiple uh, bookmarks going on throughout here just so I could find my place when we do these recordings. But um, no, it, it makes sense from a from that perspective um but I, I guess you know moving on to the topic of the day of hospital um you know something we've begun discussing on these episodes so far is you know the the grand project you know the one sort of giant film uh, that weissman's making and and um you know i think that that really starts to come to the fore with hospital and you start to see um, the interrelations between institutions, some some of which Weissman's already covered, some of which Weissman will cover down the line. Um, is that your sense too, that this sort of starts kind of to synthesize that, that larger scale um, examination of American institutions? I think so. Uh, I mean, in high school, Weissman is... Um... I mean, he said he said in interviews around this time that he's interested in institutions as cultural spores, uh, you know, as kind of metaphors for the, the larger society. But and 
you know, he finds some ways to do that. Uh, and I talk about some of them, like uh, focusing on the American flag behind the vice principal when, when he's talking to students. Um, but in hospital, you get actual, like literal connections uh, with uh, most infamously, I guess, with the psychiatrist discussion with Miss Hightower on, on the mm -hmm. tele yeah. telephone, you know, and then she sort comes of, up in yeah. welfare. Um, yeah, Weissman's cinematic universe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, you know, it's, it's like before even the Marvel universe we have this. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but there's, all, there's also comments like that policeman who has brought in uh, the, this woman who has been shuffled from hospital to hospital. And he, you know, explicitly makes a comment about how when you're poor, you're treated differently than when you're not. Um, so that, uh, you know, you have to think about that scene and the whole film of hospital in relation to that lecture about the other America, um, Michael Harrington's book in, in high school. So right. I think, you know, there are connections to, to race uh, and of course to um, uh, race and class that come up in later films um, really begin in this film. It is funny uh, that like one of the first scenes in, in hospital is uh, you have like that that white kid who has like overdose on heroin, I think, and and he's like, cop, no cops, no cops, and and the guy's like, no cops, and it's funny to think like, oh, yeah, this came out like right after, I mean, like, uh, it was the next film after Law and Order, and it's funny like to think that like uh, he, you know, him putting that towards the beginning of the film. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think, um, but it also kind of emphasizes. Um, the relation part of the uh, partly the relationship between different institutions mm -hmm. and the fact that they're they they sometimes work at odds uh with each other yeah that that staying on the police thread the the later scene too um where one doctor there there are two cops that are sort of kind of threatening uh, a patient you know they're saying like the main thing we don't want to do have to manhandle anything like that because that well, i don't want to hurt him no, I just want to walk. you don't want to go i know that i i i would suggest some action that's my uh point of view some action yeah yeah we'll see this one we're trying to alleviate action it's up to you doc what's your decision it's not up to him it's up to me right now well what do you say if he wasn't there, the police would have sort of um, uh, integrated this patient into their own sort of institutional codes. But he's saying, you know, no, this is a hospital. We're going to wait for the social worker to show up before, you know, you take uh, any action. And that that's what I'm here to do. Um, so, you know, and, and in the high tower scene you mentioned as well, you know, there they're different you know we've talked a lot about languages and and um semiotics and you know each institution sort of seems to have their own proprietary you know language and and um, um methods of indoctrination that that yeah can often be at odds with with one another that's true but at the same time Wiseman often finds imagery to show that whatever their differences are they process people in the same way uh, uh, in or analogous ways, I mean. Uh, so you know, you get shots of um, um, 
punch cards, computer punch cards or index mm -hmm. cards, things like that, that turn up in film after film or, or um, uh, people or animals being shaved or something, something mm -hmm. like these images come up again and again. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that uh, you kind of talk about that as, uh, what was that? The phrase was um, uh, diminished autonomy of the individual. Like you, you kind of talk about those recurring uh, images of, of people and animals as well as these documents and, and records. Um, and I, I really like that you, you, you drew a line back to high school's line, like a, only a body doing a job, which is uh, something that we referred to as like this ultimate like moment of docility, like this like achieved docility in this person. And this, this moment of this woman like talking about in, in, in hospital it reminded me of, of this, this woman talking about how it's just like, it's her, it's, it's human nature to want to be self-sufficient and that you don't want to be, you don't want to be counting on the government. Um, but yeah, are, are there other, are there other ways that you see hospital as like, because I think it is, um, to kind of jump back to what Arlen was saying about like the, the way that, uh, these individual workers are different between films. Like, you know, we have, we have, um, hospital like we had these doctors and nurses working with sympathy and and trying to help people you know think of like the guy who's afraid of dying of cancer and ashamed of of his body and you know doctors like trying to help help them not feel ashamed um and yet uh do you see like other facets of hospital that are sort of like it's set up to still like diminish that autonomy well you know, that, that question is interesting in the context of hospital, uh, in the context of a hospital, because doctors, and I, I talked about this in the conclusion of the book and really in terms of near death, I mean, doctors have that kind of double bind to refer back to Benson and Anderson, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, in which they do care about their patients, but they have to distance themselves from them. Um, and so I think that that dialectic kind of works in, you see it in hospital kind of um, before becoming full blown as a theme in, in near death. So, uh, you know, the doctor who is talking to the, the other young man who's taken the overdose of what he thinks is mescaline, um, you know, the, the guy, the kid says something like, I need, uh, do I need a psychiatrist? He says, yes, you do. <laughs> uh, his tone is actually, he's calming and ironic at the same time. You know, he says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Um, <laughs> um, so I think, you know, he, the doc, Dr. Schwartz, as he says, when he makes that complaint call at the beginning of the film, he says, you know, I make it a practice. I always have to do this. But you can tell from his voice that he realizes this is a kind of futile gesture mm -hmm. on his part, that he's done it before. It's not going anywhere. Um, so he cares about the patients, but he can't. Yeah, it, it's interesting in this film related both to the film's prior and, and also maybe what a viewer's expectations might be. But there seems to be, in general, just kind of a... a a lack of cynicism and and you know really kind of earnest uh, caring about people i think about like the the boy who who fell out the window i think and the nurse who's you know on the verge of taking the boy home i could 
You know, so he doesn't have to go back to that situation. Um, uh, it seems sort of um, an impossible uh, uh, balance to maintain this balance you're talking about between, um, you know, maintaining some kind of distance, but still expressing, you know, genuine empathy and, and care. I think, you know, Wiseman emphasizes that point because um, he, may, he may not have that same degree of cynicism, but he does he always, you know, captures that sense of, of irony because that scene where they're trying to find a way to ad admit that little boy for the night, yeah. um, even though they're not supposed to, uh, is followed, if I remember correctly, by the scene with Lewis, the man who has children who doesn't want to stay, but they need him to stay because right. he's so ill. Um, and he wants to go home to take care of his kids. So you've got this this uh, two opposite situation. Also, too, the 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 high tower scene after after that you know amazing um, interaction with the the young uh, gay prostitute, um, you know, it seems like the welfare office is much less willing or able I don't know which to to sort of bend right you know mm -hmm. their their question is what does the mother do this is a minor you know like can't we need to know that in order to know and and the psychiatrist is saying like it doesn't matter this person needs help like please commit to helping them and it you know obviously ends in a stalemate when she she hangs up yeah there, that reminds me of um Mamber has a uh, Stephen Mamber has a quote about um about uh he said hospital provides a running critique of other institutions rather than itself and that's a that's a great uh illustration of it like it's kind of funny to like like hospital is like this way station where you can kind of extra textually look at his other films right in a very like uh interesting way but um as as barry as you put it um the gap that is is revealed isn't between you know ideology of the institution and its practice like like those the the previous three Wisemans, but um, what accumulates in scene after scene and looking at the population and hearing about how they're struggling is this gap between the rich and the poor, uh, this wealth disparity and and you you go on to to state that uh, you know the horses and racetrack are receiving better treatment. Um, and I would also, you know, like you, you've already alluded to a disparity between, uh, white and black population. Um, but I mean, also Wiseman's not that, you know, he's not deterministic on that issue. You know, we see that again, like that, that woman talking about how she's wanting to be self-sufficient and she just like, can't this, this white woman. Um, but yeah, uh, I think when I rewatched the film again recently, to um, uh, just to so I could be thinking about talking to you. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I was really struck by that scene. And it, to me, it became more of a, a key scene than I had thought of it before uh, in terms of the most recent films. Because I think Wiseman has grown to, to see dignity in people, even though he sees absurdity as well. Uh, and uh, those, those last few films are all about attempts at um, uh, democratic um, 
control, basically, by his most recent, yeah, his most recent films, Uh, and letting voices be heard, you know, and letting people speak. Um, And he he literally gives them voice in those films, and and. Uh, and that, you know, that, that woman seems to prefigure that for me because these people mm. all are trying to uh, be self-sufficient in the sense of participating in the functioning of social democracy. Yeah, the, the recent films, um, when I think about them in relation to these sort of very early kind of canonical works, um, what what strikes me often is i guess a sort of a a shift between i think in the earlier films there's more of an emphasis on i guess um as, as nichols calls it you know the members of society that are are made to interact with these various institutions whereas more recently i think it's more emphasis is on the actors within the institutions themselves and i think about you know city hall with with the mayor uh, obviously uh, being kind of a central figure of that one um do you see in in that sort of shift um is there also a shift in in the themes and the interests that the weissman's exploring as as he moves you know later in life well i think he's because he's in in his old age i guess he's become more humanistic and more um, open in his uh, embrace of, of people, I guess, and difference, um, and more tolerance of people, you know, just a kind of general less, uh, less anger, less cynicism. And I think that goes with a, uh, a sense of optimism. Like I see a sense of optimism in those later films. Yeah, I keep uh, for whatever reason, but it, uh, I keep thinking as we've been talking uh, about that the scene in City Hall of the veterans uh, being able to speak one by one and tell like this this entire story uh, that's meaningful to them. That is really like it is a marked difference from these early films in in that like they are given so much space and and I do see people. Uh, viewers of of city hall who maybe aren't as acquainted with like his entire corpus uh struggling to find out what to do with those or what he's trying to say and sometimes it is just about letting letting you hear other people i I think so um and you know i i read i was struck by reading online i i forget where i read it um a review of um monrovia indiana that said, like, where is this place? It's on another, it must be on another planet. It's not my experience of that town of the Midwest. Where are all the rednecks, you know, and, mm-hmm. and where, you know, mm-hmm. um, and where, where's all the racism and so on? And I thought, gee, after all these years, this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of our discussion. After all these years, people are still looking at Wiseman's films as trying to be some kind of documentary faithful to somebody else's vision as opposed to a cinematic construct. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's a good way to kind of go back to talking about Wiseman as auteur because um, in, in voyages of Dis- in, in voyages of discovery, you kind of reckon with that right up front, like Arlen said, but like 
And in a way that has come up naturally for me when I try to talk to people like about this project, like, and I'm like, oh, why are you doing that project? Like, like, why does he interest you? Uh, is this like sort of confluence of that, that is kind of hard to articulate um, this confluence of like the historical real, as you call it, and the importance of these, you know, these films as historical documents and this idea of him as this, you know, artist and this like cohesive author's vision and um i i can't speak for arlen but while there is real importance in committing you know some of these things to historical document um you know especially stuff like the police behavior and law and order that we get to see um or just behind closed doors of tax supported institutions like what goes on in those meetings that has real like historical importance uh archival importance but i think that this project has led me to caring much more about Wiseman's films as just personally manipulate, manipulated, uh, you know, artistic uh, catalog. Um, and if, if there is benefit in, you know, separating these two ideas, but can you talk a bit about like reconciling the, the, the synergy of those like ostensibly opposed ideas, um, this archival truth and, you know, this personal statement? I think the archival truth is you know the images are, are documentary images um even hollywood studio set images are documentary in mm -hmm. some sense because those actors are there saying those lines <laughs> yeah. um uh, so yes there is archival value and certainly wiseman has provided more archival value of american society than any other filmmaker um but at the same time, I mean, it's naive to think of documentary as being exclusive from personal vision, because the, as I discuss in the book, you know, the footage and Wiseman, you know, he shoots for several weeks, but he spends months and months editing that footage and there's always decisions in how to put it together, what not to put in, what to cut out. And of course, as he's directing his camera operator uh, in the making of the footage itself, he's making choices right there. Mm -hmm. So the, the choices are built into the filmmaking. And then especially for him and his, the, his approach to editing, um, he really imposes his vision at that at that point. And I, I think uh, what I, I like about how you support thinking about him as an artist in the book is that you you draw lines to you know artists from other fields like Bruegel and Jan Steen and Aronimus um, Bosch um, and like talking about like the the influence of of creating a vision of a social milieu rather than. Um, individual lives, which is what most, you know, CV art directors were doing at that point. We're just focusing on, you know, the salesman, um, yada, yada. Uh, but like sort of looking at the nature of these institutional and, and social forces, but the, the idea of influence on Wiseman from other mediums, I don't think it's something we've talked about on here yet. Now, well, you know, I did, I emphasize that in the book, um, and I make a lot of references to, uh, literary phrases or um, other films, because part of what I wanted to demonstrate in the book was not my own literacy, but um, <laughs> Wise, 
Wiseman's, um, uh, the ability of Wiseman's imagery to resonate with cultural, other cultural traditions, because I do see him as so centrally an American artist. Um, can you talk about, you know, just, you, you brought up earlier your, your um, academic background and, and uh, especially with regards to experimental filmmaking. Um, that was something uh, Bill Nichols brings up at the end of his piece too, relating, you know, Weissman's um, various methods to uh, Michael Snow's wavelength, uh, among others. Um, you know, I think I think there is something in his films that obviously is very striking and, and, and um, you know, helps lend, more easily lend this auteurist label. Um, but I don't know that, it, you know, uh, upon first reading, at least, that it necessarily strikes me as experimental in the sort of filmic sense. I think we might see these as experimental now related to sort of dominant modes of documentary filmmaking. Um, but but in, in sort of the formalist, you know, aspects of his work, you know, what sort of connections are you able to draw there? In, in, in terms of form... What is so striking about all of Wiseman's films is that, sorry about that. <laughs> there is okay. um, uh, no sense, uh, there's no narrator. There is no um, uh, on-screen talking heads, you know, except in one or two rare occasions in his films. So that um, uh, we, it, we, it's always thrown back on the spectator. So, you know, like the end of high school where the principal says, you know, I think you will agree with me when we get a letter <laughs> like this, that we've done a, a successful job here at Northeastern High School. That's a question posed to the spectator. And Wiseman is always posing questions to the spectator. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so interested in his films, because of the, the experience that they present to the spectator. He's always forcing me to ask questions about what I'm looking at mm -hmm. and, and to make kind of moral judgments about, or, or at least think in those kind of terms, moral and spiritual terms. Uh, and so if, ex if one defines experimental film as the use of film form in order to engage the spectator in some fundamental way, then I guess you would say that he's an experimental filmmaker. <laughs> And, and, and I guess going off what you're saying, you know, the, the sort of spiritual um, uh, elements, you know, this, this is a film that's sort of bookended by those. Um, we have the opening shot in the, the operating room where, you know, the, the patient appears crucified, basically, uh, and, and ends in the chapel um, with, with um, you know, a very strong sort of... Today, let us thank God for God just kind of spirituality for spirituality's sake um but you know i think in the meat of the film in, in between those bookends you know it, it it seems you know dominated by science and and methodology and um uh, i think there's you know some some people might see those as as um discongregant almost even even when you consider the historical relationship between uh, religion and, and medicine and uh, healthcare over the over uh, you know millennia, um, but how how do you see 
Weissman punctuating his film with with you know those elements of religion um, in this kind of you know very um, materialistic reality driven science uh, based subject matter. I don't see them as as separate because all through the film, what we're seeing is a a parade of poor people who have been neglected um, by society in one way or another. You know, this person, his teeth has fallen out. He needs glasses. He has no place to live. Um, And the priest at the end says, you know, it's time that we don't think about ourselves um, and we think about the greater glory of God. Well, these people need to think about themselves. Nobody else is thinking about them. Um, so that, you know, to me, after we see all of these people have been neglected and then a priest comes, comes along at the end of the film and tells them, you know, don't think about yourself, um, seems to me a kind of final insult <laughs> in the way they, they've been treated. Um, and of course, when the, then when the camera cuts from the chapel in the hospital to the other side of the highway in the very last shot. And the hymn is, is gradually replaced on the soundtrack, which is definitely a formal manipulation on Wiseman's part, right? Um, and is replaced by the whooshing of those cars going by, um, which by the way, connects to the what the priest says in racetrack because he tells his parishioners in racetrack that um, w- the world is rushing by too fast. You know, we don't have time for, hmm. for the spiritual. Um, so there's another way in which high school kind of relates to to his other films. Um, uh, you know, to me, it's like the end of high school where it's directly confronting us and asking us where do we place our spiritual values and our concern with other people? Now that you've seen this film, you know, are you going to run out and carry on in the world? Or are you prepared to perhaps engage in a democratic project and try and make some changes? Yeah, I was, I, I was really struck by uh, that uh, section of, of your book when you talk about the closing of the film, um, because I especially like, you know, not watching these films chronologically in terms of like my own uh, just going through his his uh, his corpus over the years. Like I've become used to the rhythm of his opening and closing. Right. Um, you know, think of like boxing gym or state legislature or, or, you know, it's just like you get these great shots of the buildings in the sunlight and uh, it just becomes like a part of his rhythm, like slowly going in, slowly coming out. Um, and yeah, I really like the way that you did talk about the actual like spiritual uh, like um, incongruity there uh, with this like material world. Um, and uh, it's, you know, you, you talk about spirituality as like this universal, you know, medical care, which is, you know, something that you have in Canada that um, 50 years, 50 years later, we still don't have. <laughs> Well, there are the pros and cons to this sure. to the system here, um, yeah. which I won't go into. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, we don't have to like talk about the or we don't have to we don't have to finish uh, the film just because we talk about the end of it. But there are a couple uh, sections that I want to make sure that that we uh, we touch on. Um, 
the you know the Go ending ahead. of that film is of hospital yeah. is so crucial in relation to Essene and the deaf and blind films because I think that's where I mean if if Wiseman asks the question about the place of the spiritual in contemporary life in those films he tries to give an answer I think and and also I think um just before we move on from this last shot which i think is kind of like a oh you know sort of moment um, for the viewer like um you know you you posit in voyages of discovery that the thesis of this film is sort of spoken um uh, part way through by one of the doctors as man is not born of disease he acquires these disorders when he tries to uh uh, adapt to a certain level of civilization. And then we see the highway and, you know, the, this is that type of civilization, you know. Um, uh, so so the, the sort of, you know, institutional framing of the hospital is really broadened towards, you know, society writ large, uh, um, which, which to some extent, you know, is, could be said to be the thesis of, you know, every Weissman film. Um, do you see that as, you know, operating in, um, across his body of work as, you know, everything is a symptom of society and society as defined by Weissman is the content of, you know, each and every one of his films. I think so. If I understand what you're saying correctly, um, so that, you know, he's always careful in every film, and it's not just a routine on his part, but he includes, you know, scenes of janitorial work, or there's always a scene in which money is discussed, the budget is discussed, whatever the institution is, they were all constrained financially. Um, and so, and that, and then there's a question of like in National Gallery of commercialism versus art. So aside from well the self-reflexive nature of that, um, uh, you know, there's the question of uh, how do all of these institutions actually function and negotiate in a world where they need money to operate? Um, and it's not a given. Uh, so um, I, I think including those those kinds of scenes always kind of makes us step outside the institution, at least momentarily, to think about its, its connections to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it seems kind of essential for these types of films and also documentaries in general, you know, that, you know, the, the contents of the film don't exist in a vacuum, they don't exist within the confines of, you know, this single documentary, but, um, you know, every, everything is interrelated and, and you know, I guess in hospital, it's it's very heightened how um, the maladies are are symptomatic of you know nothing you can do in the hospital is going to prevent other patients from coming in um, uh, with the same conditions because um, the causes are exist outside of the institution. Yeah, and I, in fact, there's a quote in the book from Wiseman who says essentially that that it is too easy a liberal answer yeah yeah right the g roy levin interview yeah he yeah he says like that's like a liberal's response is that we just need more doctors and more nurses but um that's not you know that's not going to fix it it's like uh 
creating more roads is just gonna like create more cars yeah it's, um, it's the same idea uh in law and order too you know you you all uh, in the the conversation you know con- uh, these days about policing and um you know what biden's saying about you know we need to better fund and and more cops and all that it, it's it's the exact same idea that you know throwing money or throwing more uh institutional personnel or actors at a given problem you know is is sort of uh just and doesn't do it i guess <laughs> I, th- I think one of the uh, you were kind of talking about um hospital as as uh not being like this this enclosed thing and it does feel so cloistered as so many of his films do but one of the one of the ways that i think um he does well to connect it to the outside world is um uh which we already uh, um alluded to the the interview with the uh the gay black man and this is just like perhaps like one of Wiseman's like perfectly capsuled moments is this totally. scene that, that you write uh, really well about um, Barry. But um, uh, he's in front of this wall that has, you know, in the psychiatrist room or um, or whatever. And uh, and it has the Life magazine with uh, the New York mayor, uh, John Lindsay, with the caption Lindsay style. And he talks about the 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 man. uh being interviewed talks about not being a normal human being and uh you know they're posed identically like him and john Lindsay, uh but you know obviously they have this they it illustrates this wealth of differences even though they can they can exist in the same you know uh pose and and whatever that implies but um but you point out barry that uh not only you know racial and economic differences between these two men but also you know popular notions of masculine identity and and the ideal of of what it means to be uh, a proper you know masculine figure in in society and um that you know Lindsay represents all three of those uh social categories you know um white wealthy and masculine and these are just things that this man can never achieve and it's just this this piece of perfect poetic imagery that just like speaks for itself so, so beautifully. And that's, you know, one of the, I think most perfectly graphic examples of how Wiseman's camera is able to capture these images that reflect beyond the immediate situation. Um, Because obviously you could have filmed it from a different angle. Uh, but he makes sure that we see it and he st- stays on it. Yeah, Sean, you, you called it cloistered. Um, I think really notable throughout the film is, is it's kind of dark. There seems to be a lack of windows in any room. Um, sometimes uh, figures are rendered as, as almost being silhouettes. Um, and, you know, I think it's subtle but the brain's camera work is really uh important and essential here and and barry i'm wondering if you could just talk about um what brain is is bringing to the table visually in this film well i think you know he i do see a difference in his style from john davies style um i think uh particularly because um probably enhanced because Wiseman then switched to color later later on, so that a lot of John Davies films are are in color, and I don't 
think I don't think any of Brain's films for Wiseman are in color. I can't remember. Did he shoot the store? Uh, no. Well, that was the first color one, but I think yeah. I think that's when the switch was made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Brain shot that one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think John Davy has an eye for um, what I would call for uh, something like a, a still life, like a composed image. Um, and you see a lot of this in the later films. So um, there'll be shots of produce, for example, in, in City Hall, you know, in a yeah. uh, store that's um, uh, run by the, by the city. Um, and, or wheat in Mon Monrovia, Indiana. So you get these, and, you know, that goes back to Wiseman's relation to painting, right? Um, so you get um, uh, a lot of these still life shots, a lot of images that are aesthetically rich in their composition. Um, whereas in William Brain's film, I think there's more of, a, well, there's more of a dynamic in the black and white and some use of shadow, but I think the imagery is more fluid. It's less a sense of, of a static composition than a camera that's moving around. And I, I also think that as good a cinematographer as John Davy is, I sometimes find him making the wrong decision on either um, zooming in or the way he frames something because it doesn't work out and he has to move the camera or mm. it's, um, uh, it's not straight and he has to adjust it or something like that. Well, I don't see that as much in, in William Brain's work. Uh, although the editing may have something to do with that. Hmm. Um, before we finish talking specifically about hospital, I, I want to make sure we talk more about the um, the art student from from Minneapolis, <laughs> um, because I think this is another like very important uh, indicator of a lot of Wiseman's strengths. Um, and we've talked about sort of this, you know, racial and economic disparity that you get to see throughout the film in, in hospital. And then towards the end, you get this this art student who is, you know, like you said, like thinks he's OD'd on masculine and is uh, just having this really bad trip. And it is this like darkly funny, like sort of um, it's this this comedic relief uh, on one one hand. And, it, you know, it, you're able to laugh at it. And it's like ironic but also you have like by contrast you have this this white kid who is privileged and is freaking out um and saying i don't want to die i don't want to die and then on the other side like the rest of the film it feels like you have these these people who are of like lower class and don't have many resources who have just like unfortunately had to to build up so much resilience right and I, I'm, I, I go back to one of the early scenes of one of the first scenes of the, the woman talking about like her mother not waking up in the morning. You know, she goes through the routine with her and she's like just calmly uh, talking about it to the doctor until she starts to, to break down. And you, you see this like resiliency break down to reveal this panic that that is still subtle. I mean, she's like she cries like this one tear and is is just very like sad and you contrast that later in the film with this kid just like freaking out like i don't want to die and the doctor's like you're not gonna die you're not gonna die <laughs> it's 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 such a good juxtaposition um that 
you can easily just be like that is that that's a funny scene that's that's a wild scene but also just uh illustrates so much of of the 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 film's rich text you know he's in the middle that 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 kid is in the middle of vomiting and he suddenly says does anyone know how to sing <laughs> right can you um, play some music yeah. and it's like this is like a lark for him I, you're right to point to the disparity between his situation and the other patients that we see. Um, yeah it's just like a, a, a lark for him uh, my suspicion is that he probably became a hedge fund <laughs> <laughs> did you um did you have a or do you have a personal relationship with wiseman um when uh yes i do uh when i started working on voyages of discovery um i thought that i would like to interview him uh to get a sense uh well i had some of my own questions i wanted to ask him uh and also um i w w wanted his cooperation to get images um mm -hmm. so um, and actually, um, he uh, so he, uh, I contacted him and he kind of interviewed me on the telephone. Um, <laughs> and he told me that uh, he was not interested in critical uh, bullshit, basically, uh, you know, critical uh, gobbledygook uh, theoretical stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I told him, my what my approach was going to be uh which we talked about before um he seemed fine with that and um so i ended up uh, i went to cambridge and interviewed him for for several hours actually and then i did a follow-up on the telephone with just to clarify some things and he sent me all the films so that um i could actually shoot frames uh hmm. Those are frame enlargements uh, uh, in the in the first book. I'll probably, well, for the newer films, for this this revised edition, I'm sure I'll do frame grabs from from the the DVDs. But um, that was the way I had to do it then, and so I needed his permission. And so he he was accepting of me. And then I we've kind of crossed paths over the years. Um, he was honored uh, with a kind of lifetime uh, achievement thing at Hot Docs in Toronto. Uh, I think it was like the second or third year that that festival was in existence. And I was asked to do an interview of him on stage. And that was, which I did, and that um, uh, uh, interview was, it was online uh, for years on the Hot Docs website. I'm not sure if it still is. I think hmm. Taking it down, and then there was a um, uh, a panel discussion at, uh, that a criminal a professor of criminology organized um, because he was interested particularly in law and order uh, mm. at the um, University of Rhode Island, and uh, that he organized a panel. I was on the panel, Wiseman, and he had a judge on the panel and somebody else, a lawyer. Uh, so I, you know, I, I cross and I, I see him every time he's at uh, TIFF, uh, the mm. International Film Festival. Cool. Um, the, there's a moment in this film that 
I thought, and, and I think Stephen Mamber noted also as being the sole moment of direct address in a Weissman when, when uh, the psychiatrist, after getting hung up on, says, She hung up on me. As if, <laughs> as if he's, you know, letting the crew know. And, and you actually note that that was, uh, he was speaking to a, an off-screen um, resident. Is that something that um, came out of your conversations with Weissman? Yeah, I asked him that question specifically, so that's huh. how I knew that, yeah. And, and um, you know, we've talked a lot about Voyages of Discovery. Um, there's also a, a really useful book uh, that you made, um, the Five Films book, um, which is Transcriptions um, and also features a foreword from Weissman. Um, can you talk about just your impetus for, for wanting to embark on such a project and, and those sort of um, difficulties that arose in, in putting it all together? Yeah, that was that, that book was truly a labor of love on my part. Yeah. yeah. Um, because um, uh, as I talk about in, in the introduction in Voyages of Discovery, uh, Wiseman, Wiseman's um, capturing of dialogue is so interesting to me of the way people actually speak uh, and um, I thought it would be really useful to have some of this uh, actually on paper so that it can be referred to and I thought then I started thinking well how would this be done um, and I kind of settled on this kind of annotated method where I, I kind of in brackets some summarize something about the montages that precede the dialogue or the way he cuts from one shot to another during dialogue. Um, and uh, there were some some precedents to this, like the, the um, screenplay for Don't Look Back was published, for example, and I think Peter Watkins um, had one or two of his uh, screenplays published, uh, and a couple of others. Um, but I thought there was really nothing quite like this. So um, uh, I focused on, and of course, in Voyages of Discovery, uh, my focus is, is so much on visuals that I think to some extent I neglected the soundtrack a little bit. So I wanted to, uh, to kind of correct that a bit. Uh, so my introduction talks about his use of sound, uh, primarily. I, I uh, when we when we were uh, starting to do this, I had mistakenly misremembered that you. I was thinking that one of the films in there was Hospital. I was like, oh gosh, he's probably seen it like a million times. But uh, but you do high school and high school too, uh, uh, as well as three others. But um, yeah, so were you just watching each one of those just like over and over? Uh, well, at the point at which I did them, Wiseman still didn't have his films on DVD. So it was, huh. you know, and I probably wore out two or three video machines. <laughs> going back, you know, stopping and going back and forth. There's, yeah. a, there's dialogue that's um, uh, inaudible. Uh, right. There's uh, dialogue in Spanish, for example. I needed help translating some of that. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and there are people, there are points where people talk over each other. So I had to kind of separate that out. So it really required a lot of, uh, uh, and it, so I used earphones with uh, um, a VHS machine. Um, 
so obviously primitive technology now, uh, but that was the only way, the only way to do it. And and how did you get so many names of the people who appear in the films? That that that's really something that was impressed upon me because they're everyone's so anonymous throughout Weissman's work. Is was there some sort of primary documents you were consulting to get people's names? Uh, I think as long as somebody was named somewhere in the film, I used their name. Um, I, I I did realize during hospital that uh, like there are specific full names mentioned and also like medical information. I was like, this, this would not be happening in, in a current uh, documentary on the hospital. Um, well, you know, unless uh, of course all the, the doctors and the hospital and the patients themselves would all Sign have to give their permissions. Yeah. 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 It had, had to be um, striking for some of the people featured in the film to, you know, be going for a, emergency room visit and, and there's Weissman and Brain you know with the Cameron uh, boom um, I, I think particularly about the the art student having a bad trip what it must have been like to have all that equipment in his face while that was happening I, I think uh, you know he actually probably saw that as a little bit of grounding for him um, because he's doing a little bit of performance art <laughs> during the <laughs> Um, perhaps uh, this is uh, only interesting to, to me in Ireland but uh, do you so there are so few of the sort of like core uh, like Wiseman uh, like theorists and writers like like you and Mamber and, and uh, Anderson and Vincent do you guys like uh, ever talk or do you guys just sort of like consult each other's work um, and leave it at that I never knew Stephen Stephen Mamber, um, but um, <clears throat> I did write uh, when I started working on um, Voyages of Discovery. I did write to Tom Benson, just to ask him how how he found before I contacted Wiseman, how he found working with Wiseman and, and so on. Mm. Um, he told me that he felt Wiseman was was somewhat guarded, and uh, that. Um, if I remember correctly, if you look in their first edition of their book, there's no images. Um, mm. We refuse to give yeah. them permission to use images. Uh, whereas with me, he was fine with it. Uh, but And he didn't reject anything that I chose. Mm. Uh, but with five, the five film transcript book, um, there were places where he wanted me to change captions because... He didn't want me to mention, uh, uh, and this goes back on to your previous question, he didn't want me to um, mention specific names. So there are some places where I actually don't mention somebody by name. He changed it to, you know, vice principal or whatever yeah. their function was. Hmm. So there must have been some legal issue there. I see. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've I've had a blast, but are there any uh, spare thoughts that that uh, you have in your head that you wanted to get out? Mm, I don't think so. Um, I'm curious to see what he's going to do now. The last the last that I heard, he was actually stuck in Paris. Um, right. Yeah, I remember that. 
Is he still there? Do you... No, he he was. I the day I interviewed him, he had gotten a vaccine, and uh, he said he had to wait like three weeks or something like that after, and then flying back. But the thing was that he was not sure when he would be doing a documentary because he didn't want to do it with masks, and so he's working on some fictional uh, stuff. But um, I don't think he will have to wait too long to make a, a documentary with, where like masks are not. Uh, majority of uh you know the people's faces so i don't know I we'll wonder. see yeah we'll see i wonder with uh the way delta stuff's going yeah yeah he might, he might decide at this point to get involved more with fiction because he's, he's always and with other art groups because he's always been interested in fiction um you know he tried as i'm sure you know he tried to um uh, make fiction films um, and he, he uh, like Hollywood style films and he's made uh, two at least two fiction films on his own um, and he's involved been involved in other ventures like uh, an opera of welfare or uh, a Follies of yeah. Follies yeah uh, so- something we'll cover in more depth on the next episode is um i miss sonia henny um kind of a confounding film do, do you have any insight uh onto that one <laughs> i haven't seen that one. oh you haven't seen it, no, it's uh it's on youtube i think right sean i think so it's very yeah. much for for the completest zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well thanks again for coming on this this is great my pleasure so good to talk to you both yeah i really appreciate it thanks barry okay Bye.